My name is Chris Livingstone. I'm a writer and a musician, and this is the Hogtown Music Podcast, a show about music and musicians. In it, we dive headlong into all things music, into the present, into history, into favourite bands and songs. But this podcast is also a little different. We try to get a bit deeper than a simple appreciation. We try to deconstruct how good musicians turned into great musicians, how they made the leap into the elite, how classic albums came to be, and how legendary performances unfolded. We try to understand how the pinnacles of greatness were reached, and as mere mortals, we try to figure out how to do it just a little better ourselves. This podcast is for musicians and music lovers. In the coming episodes, we'll be talking to some interesting people, people involved in the music industry, musicians who've hit the very peaks of their profession, DIY indie musicians, and everything in between. We'll find out about the music that inspires them, the techniques that they use to become better at what they do, and we'll have stories and legends of greatness. I'm also going to focus on some specific bands that are favourites of mine to try and share a deeper appreciation of them, to look at specific years and genres in the history of music. There's a lot to talk about, and if you like music, it should be an interesting ride. So, as this is the very first episode in what I hope will become a long and illustrious series, I thought it would be fitting to introduce something about me and expand a little more on exactly what you are going to hear in the coming shows. By the sound of my voice, you can probably tell that I'm from the UK, although I have lived in Los Angeles for the last 10 years or so. I have played in bands in England and the United States, mostly metal and alternative, but I've also been in indie, rock, and even the odd cheesy cover band. I recently published my first book, Hogtown, under my author name, C.J. Livingstone, hence the title of this podcast. It's about a young man's discovery of music and his learning of lessons associated with becoming a musician. I wrote it for two main reasons. Number one, I was a little burnt out on playing in bands a few years back. I played around Los Angeles, and the various bands that I was in had got a little bit stagnant. I wanted a creative outlet that didn't involve sparring with other musicians, so I turned to writing instead. I wanted to write a book that attempted, in the form of a story, to set out how someone starts off knowing nothing about music and has no ability to play an instrument, and gets to being able to play a gig, and gets to understanding music, and the way it works, and its history, and its theory. But I didn't want it to be an instructional book. I wanted that story to play out in the form of an experience, of drama, because that's more interesting and speaks to people more clearly. I wanted to do this because I always felt that I got my musical education all wrong, that I could have been a much better musician had I had someone guiding me in the right direction a little more and showing me the ropes, so to speak, instead of having to figure it out all for myself. So I wrote a dramatic story that includes a few of those lessons, most of which we'll get to in more detail as the episodes roll by. The book also contains a bunch of lists that the main character Cameron develops as he goes through this story. Things like top 10 classic albums of all time, or best bassists of all time, or best cover songs, or best frontmen of all time. 
I like lists. I think they're interesting and provoke thought, mostly because no two people ever fully agree on them, which is a good thing. And in the coming episodes, I'll be asking my guests their opinions on various topics and getting them to put their own lists together. So in this first episode, as we are just getting to know each other, I'm going to play some of my favourite songs and answer some of my own questions. So here are some of my favourite bands and some of my favourite songs. The first is what I would say is my favourite band of all time. I've followed them since I was a teenager. For me, there is something special about the bands that you discover in your early teens. They seem to have a much greater effect on you, much more than those that you discover later in life. And I think it's because for me, I was discovering a whole new culture along with my friends. It wasn't something that our parents had shown us. It wasn't really something that was even on TV or in the mainstream media, unless you count the classic music show, The Word. It was counterculture. The band is Faith No More. I'm going to devote an entire episode to them in which I will not only introduce some of their more seminal works, but also look at the ups and downs of intraband tensions, something that afflicts many bands, and that quite acutely affected Faith No More for a period. We'll look at how creativity can spring from tension, how it can be a destructive force, and ultimately try to figure out if it's a good thing or not. But that's another show. This song comes from 1992 and the album Angel Dust, a work of dark, twisted genius. Here's Everything's Ruined.
1992 was a great year for music. So good, in fact, that I've got an entire episode that's focused only on the albums that came out during those 12 months. But next up, we're going to reel back the years a couple of decades, and I'm going to play a song by a band that comes a close second to Faith No More in my all-time favourites list, Thin Lizzy. From Dublin, Ireland, Thin Lizzy are really known, especially in the States, for their one big radio hit, The Boys Are Back In Town. But that does them an injustice. They were one of the greatest hard rock acts of the 1970s, easily on a par with ACDC and Led Zeppelin in my opinion. And live they were something else. They were a hard-working band born out of constant touring who pulled themselves up to the top of the pile for a short time. They were led by their roguish frontman Phil Lynott, who was somewhat unique in that he was a black Irishman. His songs fully embraced his Irish heritage, and he was a quintessential rakish rock star playboy. The band was an early adopter of the dual guitar harmony sound, which would go on to heavily influence heavy metal in the following decade. Plenty of bands such as Metallica, Megadeth and Alice in Chains were influenced by them, and you can directly trace their influence onto their records. We'll dedicate a whole episode to Thin Lizzy, where we'll take a more in-depth look into their sound and also track the evolution of the band and its eventual downfall shortly before Phil's untimely death. I thought long and hard about what song I wanted to play here, but ultimately, nothing quite sums the band up quite as well as the ode to boozing, fighting and general rabble-rousing, or the classic guitar sound as the boys are back in town. Enjoy.
will flow and blood will spill And if the boys wanna fight, you better let them That jukebox in the corner blasting out my favorite song The nights are getting warmer, it won't be long Won't be long till summer comes Now that the boys are here again The boys are back in town, boys are back in town The boys are back in town for something completely different. I started to play the guitar when I was about 12. My dad bought me a classical guitar, which, with its fat neck and gargantuan-sized strings, is probably the hardest of all the guitars to learn on, especially for a weak-fingered preteen. Luckily, a year or so later I got an electric. A few years after that, as I was working my way through my teens, heavily influenced by grunge and alternative, that was in full swing at the time, I decided that I was looking for something different to listen to. At the time, there were only record stores, and where I lived, probably only about three or four of them, so it wasn't like you could just pick up anything you wanted. You had to go and search for it and be lucky. So I had a sound in my head for a style of guitar playing, but I had no idea how to describe it. I asked my dad if he could suggest any famous guitar players and he pointed me to Django Reinhardt. After some searching, I located a CD in the small jazz section of R. Price Records and bought his greatest hits, such that they were. It was gypsy jazz, whatever that was. I put it on when I got home. The recording quality wasn't great, as though it was recorded an age ago, but one thing struck me. The guitar playing was awesome. This guy Django was shredding, and what's more, he wasn't playing some slick electric, he was playing one of those clunky old classicals that I could barely wrap my hand around the neck. What was even crazier is that the guy had lost half his hand in a fire. He was the Yingwe Malmsteen of the 40s. That might be a reference that only a few people get, and maybe I should do a show on Yingwe. Anyway, here's Django Reinhardt with After You've Gone. Thank you. 
gone and left me crying after you gone there's no denying you seem blue you feel sad It turned out that the guitar sound that I was originally looking for was closer to George Benson. Not the cheesy balladeer of the late 80s, but the jazz prodigy of his younger life. That only came to me years later. Here's another jazz prodigy that I originally heard on some compilation that I bought years ago. Another musician with prodigious talent who couldn't hold on to it. Chet Baker had it all. He looked like a movie star, like James Dean or a young Elvis. And he could play the horn as good as anyone. And he had this strange voice, somewhere between male and female, that made you double take the first time you heard it. Chet Baker was cool as hell. He was the leading guard of the legends of jazz. His style was downbeat and cool. Chet didn't get worked up about anything. He had it all. But like so many creative people, he was overcome by drugs and his life turned ever more tragic. There's a Spike Lee film called Mo Better Blues in which Denzel Washington plays a horn player. He gives everything to his music, forsaking relationships and general normality of life. And soon his own life starts to go south and eventually he's beaten up and hit in the face with his own horn. He loses his teeth and damages his precious lips. And after that, he can't play like he did. That was Chet Baker. 
But this is him at his best, and you can hear the haunting sadness in his voice and in his instrument. I fall in love too easily I fall in love too fast I fall in love too terribly hard For love to ever Cause I've been fooled in the past But still I fall in love so easily I fall in love too fast I've been fooled in the past But still I fall in love too easily I fall in love too fast So on the shows that I have guests on, which will be every third show or so, I'm going to ask them some standard questions. In this episode, there are no guests, so I'm going to answer my own questions rapid-fire style. What was my first gig? It was Diana Ross in 1989 at the Sydney Entertainment Centre. I think she did about five costume changes. That was her big thing, but I don't really remember much else about it. What was my last gig? 
It was Faith No More at the Troubadour in Los Angeles in 2016. It was an amazing show with their original singer Chuck Mosley, and they were just as good today as when I first saw them in 1992. What was the best gig I've ever seen? I think it was probably one of three. Deftones at the Iron Duke pub in Sydney on their first Australian tour in 1996. Faith No More at Northampton Road Menders in 1995. Or Pantera at Manchester Apollo in 1998. What was the first album I bought? It was probably Michael Jackson's Bad. I think every kid owned this. It was on cassette. What was the last album that I bought? Billy Ocean's Greatest Hits. I'd love to say that it was something else, but I can't lie. It was Billy Ocean. I recently bought this album. The last album I bought on vinyl, that was Adam Ant, Kings of the Wild Frontier. I was perusing my local record store and find it, found this and decided to buy it. There was no real reason, but I do like the drumming on it. Favourite album? Faith No More's Angel Dust or Thin Lizzy's Live and Dangerous. And best piece of advice, I would say practice more, constantly challenge yourself, and learn new things. And I wish I could take this advice more often. And finally, who's my favourite musician? I thought long and hard about this, but to me it was clear, really. Great musicians are not just defined by their skill. They're defined by their individuality and the extent to which they do things differently and make you think differently or present ideas in a new and unique way. That's why often the greatest musicians are not the most skillful ones. Often they are the ones most willing to push the envelope. For me, I think that one anomaly who encapsulated both skill, mesmerizing uniqueness, stage presence and sheer star power was the late and phenomenally great Prince Rogers Nelson. He was one of my all-time idols, and I'll be dedicating an entire episode to him. This is Sign of the Times. Chance's girlfriend came across a needle and soon she did the same. At home there were 17 year old boys and their idea of fun is being in a gang called the Disciples High on Crack and toting a machine gun.
school 1950s rock and roll. It was a time of incredible change in the United States where it all started. And the 50s was a time when people seemed very optimistic and fully bought into the American dream. But there was also this undercurrent of social problems, of injustice and inequality. Read the book Last Exit to Brooklyn for a gritty depiction of those times. But musically, The 50s was also a time of incredible change. It was a transition between big band music and swing and crooners like Sinatra and Dean Martin and the emergence of what would become the beginning of the forefathers of modern music. It was a kind of time when the teenager was pushed to the forefront of music. It was the time when sex was overtly marketed and became the topic of songs. And sometimes with the plethora of music that we have these days, it's easy to forget just how controversial that music was in those days. And it was also derived from southern black culture, which wasn't exactly mainstream at the time either. I remember buying a cassette from Target when I was about nine years old. It was called School Days, and it was a compilation and included songs by Dion and Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, Little Richard and this man, Chuck Berry. I loved this song from the moment I heard it. I loved the story of it. Chuck Berry is great at constructing stories in three minutes. Chuck is still going. I think he's about 92 now. This song is called Maybelline. Maybelline, why can't you be true? Oh, Maybelline, why can't you be true? You done started doing the things you used to do As I was motivating over the hill I saw Maybelline in a coupe de A Cadillac rolling on an open road Nothing out to run my VA4 A Cadillac doing about 95 Bumper to bumper rolling side to side Maybelline, why can't you be true? Oh Maybelline 
So far the songs that I've played today have all been pretty old, from other times so to speak, but there's a ton of great music coming out today. And the great thing is, the accessibility of being able to create professional sounding music is pretty much available to anyone, and that do-it-yourself ethos has itself created an explosion of new and interesting artists. I don't get to as many gigs as I used to, but I still listen to a lot of new music, mostly on BBC Radio 6, the UK broadcaster for those of you who are unfamiliar. And in my opinion, that's the greatest music radio station on earth. If you like music, listen to it. There's a ton of great bands around right now, doing new and interesting things. In a few weeks, I'll be doing a roundup of the best bands of 2016 and look forward to 2017. I can't even believe that it's going to be 2017. But for now, I wanted to play you a band that I really like and have followed for some time. They've been around for a while, but they've just released a new EP. And what makes them interesting is that they just broke with their record company and are releasing material through their own channels. I really embrace this and think that the days of needing validation by a large, a large corporate entity with only profit motive for criteria are, if not over, then changing for the better. It's the democratization of creativity. Thank you for listening to the first Hogtown Music Podcast. My debut novel, Hogtown Book One, is available at Amazon. Connect with me. I would love to hear about your favorite bands, about new bands that you've heard recently, and about gigs and stories. I'm on Twitter, at Chris underscore live, on Facebook, at CJ Livingstone Author, and on the web at hogtownbook.com. The show will come out every other Monday, and I look forward to seeing you again in two weeks' time. But for now, here's the Duke Spirit with their new song, Serenade.